Welcome into another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined on the phone by Rob Cassidy from Florida. Rob, how's it going today? It's going, man. You know, it's been a relatively relaxing day of nothing here in uh, Rivals.com. And uh, our Texas analyst and uh, videographer, Nick Kruger from Texas, of course. How's it going, Nick? Oh, it's good. I'm, I'm just looking for uh, Texas commitments to arbitrarily make five stars uh, and TCU commitments to arbitrarily make three just uh, just because uh, these kids went to Texas and they have no five stars right now. Right. Nick immediately coming on fire, shots fired. No, I like that, though, because, you know, for a while there, I felt like Nick was trying to play the good guy and play both sides of the fence with these fan bases. And it's nice that he comes out fire and turn and heel a little bit. He's a well, fire. You know, it's pretty impressive to me that, uh, you know, some some people might suggest that just because a kid is committed to Texas, he gets turned to a five star and they have most of the top commitments in the state right now. And none of them are five stars. And we'll continue to probably not be five stars just by virtue of the fact that they go to Texas. But I don't know. My favorite thing when it comes to those kind of complaints that we get from, from people, readers, is <laughs> you've got they, they work both sides of it, right? So, like, if there's a kid committed to their school that they don't feel is, you know, that doesn't have a lot of offers but it isn't ranked very high, it'll be like, well, you know, what do you guys think you – or if he has a bunch of offers that doesn't rank very high, what do you think you know more than Nick Saban? Nick Saban offered this kid. And then like if he's not committed there and he has a bunch of offers, it's you only ranked in this high because he has an Alabama offer. It's like, well, you can't have it both ways, man. Yeah, it's uh, that's what fandom's all about, though. Uh, fan is short for fanatic, as our boy Colin Cowherd often reminds uh, me and Nick when we're listening to the herd. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know when the last time I was. Yeah, I was going to say that's on you guys for listening to that show. I don't know when the last time I listened to the herd was, but uh, anyway, uh, we want to remind you, of course. Sorry, we were gone last week. All three of us were on the road at uh, various different places. Uh, we want to remind everybody, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's been a while since we got a new one. Uh, that really helps us with uh, placement, helps grow our audience, which was pretty big last time we recorded an episode. So we like people tuning in. Please tell a friend, and uh, you can reach us on Twitter at Rivals Podcast, and uh, you can find us at our various uh, handles, which aren't which aren't tough to find. So let's jump right into it. Let's talk about media days. I was at SEC. Nick, you were at Big Twelve. Rob, you were at ACC. I mean. I don't have a whole lot of takeaways to to share from my week other than, you know, it was a madhouse. The SEC Media Days is is really just a dog and pony show, unfortunately. It doesn't really do a whole lot for us to try to get, uh, you know, exclusive content or any type of uh, one-on-one things. I mean, you're, you're, you're fighting with people who are asking questions about Game of Thrones and who, you know, I mean. I had those questions too, but, you know, the lady that was asking the Game of Thrones questions was at least, like, nice. Um it wasn't as bad for me, man. Uh, I think you had it worse. SEC is, you know, we've all covered that. That's definitely the worst one. ACC, you can get some time in. You know, I got some time with Mark Richt uh, to talk about Miami and kind of what he's done differently since he's come to Miami from Georgia. And, you know, a lot of coaches won't change things and won't admit, especially when they change their approach. And, you know, I thought he opened up pretty well about all that. And we talked about that. But, yeah, definitely you had you had the hardest task here. Uh, SEC is bad, 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 bad. Was it just as bad this year as it was last year? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, the usual. The, the problem I have is there's, there's so many people there who aren't actually doing work, which, you know, I understand if you want to come to cover it and try to try to do things. But there are people there from, you know, media outlets, radio stations and whatnot that are – pushing in to try to ask questions just to ask a question, not necessarily because they are using the answer for anything. 
So, I mean, that makes it, that makes it really tough. And, you know, I just, I've never been a big press conference guy. I, I don't think anything really good comes out of it. And, you know, when I was being groomed as a young journalist, I was told you're better off, you know, grabbing the guy a- afterwards on the side than trying to, to grandstand and ask a question at a, at a press conference type setting. But I guess one thing I wanted to talk about, Nick Saban, uh, Alabama coach, got up there and, and continues to advocate for the transparency in the NFL draft process. And it kind of struck me as, you know, he's essentially aligned himself as, uh, I don't know, the you know, the Pope or <laughs> the young Pope of uh, college football. I don't know what you'd call him. I mean, he's he's definitely the ambassador. And, and it seems like when he wants something done, whether it be a rule change or whether it be something, he almost forces the hand by coming out and talking about it publicly. And I, I sort of like, it kind of reminds me of LeBron, you know, when he, when he comes out and talks about something about the NBA, it, it happens. And, and so now he's pushing this draft transparency process. And obviously he's got the most players that are going to get drafted into the NFL. And what he wants essentially is he wants underclassmen to be told you know, yay or nay, uh, he would rather them get measured and talk to, to NFL scouts and stuff like that when they're after their freshman or sophomore years, because when it comes time later, he he doesn't want guys leaving early, basically, that are going to go undrafted or go later than they could be when they should be on his team. Um, and we saw this, you know, 10 years or so ago when when Mark Sanchez left and how, how mad Pete Carroll was. At that time, when he was the USC coach, obviously Sanchez made the right choice. He went in the first round. But there are a lot of guys, I mean, you know, a friend of the show, uh, Denver Kirkland uh, from Arkansas, who who went undrafted uh, last year, then ends up making the Raiders team as a rookie. And, and by the end of the year, he's starting. So, I mean, Saban's point, and I think Brett Bielema brought it up too, was had these guys been able to communicate more with with uh, NFL coaches and general managers ahead of time, they would have been able to know more. So, I don't know. I sort of I know it's self serving, but I sort of like Saban's approach to pushing that agenda because it is for the play. It is in the end to also help the players. So that was my one. That was my biggest uh, takeaway from the week. That I actually something that I was impressed with at least. That's interesting. I think uh, I think that would also that concept would actually go a long way in basketball too, especially with the one and done policy. That would seem to be something that basketball coaches might be more interested well, in. Got something in basketball where you can test the waters, right? Like you can, you can declare and then pull your name out. Um, I don't think they have such a, such a rule in football. Possibly they do. Uh, but you know, you can kind of mingle with agents as a basketball player. Then there's a window where you can withdraw and still come back to school. Yeah, the, the the basketball window is much closer to the draft, though. And they just changed that a couple of years ago. Um, so I think that would be something good. I think if – I've personally always thought if a guy goes undrafted – there was a player this happened to, I can't remember, in the NBA who went undrafted and never hired an agent and ended up being allowed to come back to school. I just think if a guy goes undrafted and he's an underclassman, he should have the option of wanting to go back to college. Now, the problem is, okay, well, if he dropped out of school and took money from a from an agent and was, was paying his travel everywhere, that obviously complicates uh, eligibility. But I wish there was a way that, that if guys that were underclassmen went undrafted, which were several former five-stars this year from the 2014 class, 
if they had the option to return, especially if they were in good academic standing or something like that. But obviously, that's uh, me being me being an optimist. So, well, you know, if it, if it just came down to like travel expenses and things like that, where where kids weren't actually getting cash put in their hand, I think that should be fine because like. Hey, you, I'm sure, I'm sure you did, Woody, and probably you too, Rob. I know I definitely did. I mean, when I was in college, I was working, I was working at the Naples Daily News. I mean, I didn't lose any sort of amateur uh, status, and I didn't have like you know nobody threatened to take away my school rights just because I was already working in the profession, you know, technically that I was going to be in long term as well, you know, getting paid for it. No, I I agree with you. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> as somebody once said famously. So, Rob, yeah. you you mentioned Mark Richt. You actually got uh, to sit down and speak with him one on one. Which, unless you're a local radio station in you know Little Rock, Arkansas, you don't get that type of access at SEC Media Days. Um, what was it like getting to talk to him? We I saw the story was very popular, talking about his recruiting approach and how things have changed. So, what was your kind of takeaway there? He, like I said earlier, it. it it always shocks me. Maybe it's because I'm so cynical. I usually cannot stand talking to football coaches on the record. Uh, off the record, they're normal human beings. But for whatever reason, for most times, they're programmed to act a certain way when a recorder's running. And I understand that. But it's so brutal. He was a little bit different. You know, he was actually, you know, willing to kind of admit that he had scrapped his old recruiting philosophy. So I guess when he was at Georgia, he was a big believer in these big junior days where he would invite, you know, they're pretty popular in college football. They'll invite, you know, a cattle call full of juniors. Uh, they'll get them on campus and they'll kind of, you know, uh, mosey them through the facilities, uh, talk to them as a group. He said he doesn't think that works anymore. So he's completely scrapped that and is now just like inviting kids one-on-one -on -one or in smaller groups to come to campus. Uh, he's kind of tried to get outside the box. He told a story about how they built uh, this new medical facility here, actually right across the street from my house on their campus. Uh, and right when they were building it, he realized that, you know, that's a place where he could take recruits because on one side is the Miami skyline and on the other side is the practice facility. So he's been inviting recruits to campus and doing things like having dinner on the roof of the hospital uh, with a small group and really trying to, to think outwardly uh, and hanging out at local parks. He says he goes to a lot of local parks and interacts with the middle school kids trying to get his kind of uh, roots down that way, which has been, you know, a giant departure from the last staff, which was still kind of, I agree with them in the way that it's a little bit antiquated to have these big junior days and, you know, these kids get talked to and lectured and toured in big groups so often with all the camps that exist here. The way that you can get through to them, and I think this is what Rick is doing, is by showing them personal attention. It's no different than like a teacher in a small class size, right? That's why those are effective. So they get these kids either one-on-one -on -one or in small groups of five and have these kind of dinners. And he thinks that's really led to, to the success they've had recruiting. And I think it's hard to argue with that because it's not really the... The on-field success obviously isn't there yet, so that hasn't changed. Uh, the only thing that has changed is the names and the recruiting approach. And it's, you know, they have the number one class in America for a reason. And I got to think that this new, like, condensed approach is probably it. Yeah, I I, I think we, Nick, when we were at Tulane, I think did we get a similar, like, that, that view? Didn't the coach take us up there and say for recruiting days they do a similar thing? There, there was a there was a spot in the stadium when we went through like where you where you looked at the back end of the stadium you could see all of New Orleans. Yeah, see, this is just a, a a medical facility. Like one floor below you, people are having vasectomies, and like you know, there's like <laughs> an oncology center and you know all kinds of stuff. So it's like they must have been watching this being built and being like, all right, we can also use this. He says he just like called over there and was like, can we use your roof? This is Mark Richt, and they were like, uh, sure, I guess. And so now he's been using the roof ever since. 
Well, it, it's obviously working. I mean, we've talked about it. I don't know how many episodes about, you know, the class, how they hold it together, uh, things of that nature. And it, it seems to be panning out pretty well for them. Um, so if you want to see Rob's story, check it out, Rivals.com. Rob's also got it on his Twitter feed at Cassidy underscore Rob. Still uh, earlier today, it was still leading the website for a second day in a row. looks like uh, Kyle Pitts choosing the Gators has overtaken it. But uh, Nick, you also had an interesting story with uh, Texas coach Tom Herman. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you got the same type of access Rob got. No, he's uh, the, Herman is the most popular person in America. So, so, so here, so Tom Herman was the only coach uh, following his uh, presser on stage that didn't do follow up questions immediately after. Walked right off the stage. Walked right to the back. Uh, probably did some TV spots and stuff like that. So uh, the media at large there was not very happy about that, especially Wait, because he didn't take were... questions at all. He just gave a statement, and walked off the stage. No, 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 no. He he took his. Everybody had their time on stage, and he answered questions that way. But afterwards, usually all the coaches came off to the side, and then you could do kind of like a scrum session with the coaches afterwards. Um, and he was he was the only person there that didn't do that, uh, which really, you know, which really didn't sit well with most people there because there were there had to have been twice as many people there on day two of media day specifically. Not I mean, mostly because of Herman. Uh, you know, I was really interested, obviously, in what Matt Rule had to say on um, the whole Baylor situation. All that stuff was on day two. But um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't really try to uh, I didn't really try to break my back trying to get too much extra out of Tom Herman because I just th- there was just so many people there trying to talk to him. Um, and and so, of course, I wrote a very, uh, very bland and predictable story that's getting panned on the uh, Orange Bloods <laughs> board as we speak. But a lot of people, you know, I, I didn't go on there and try to defend myself too much. I mean, they, he, he did talk a little bit about recruiting and he did say some things that I thought were pretty interesting, uh, just naturally speaking about it, because. You know, obviously, you look at the recruit the uh, success that they've had so far um, this spring and summer with with recruiting, and you would think they're they're just having their way with with whoever they want. And you know, and he made it seem that it wasn't it wasn't quite that easy. But um, but you know, so you can check. I I implore people to check out that story. You know, it's not not really anything uh, mind blowing, but you know, in order to get my page view count was just a little bit higher, you can find it somewhere on there. Um, you know the the other guy obviously Matt Matt Rule had some interesting things to say, uh, but generally very upbeat, very positive, and um, I think left a good taste in a lot of people's mouths as, as far as you know where they thought the program was going with him there. Um, much more so than Jim Grobe from a year ago, uh, despite you know everybody telling us that Jim Grobe was the most stand up person in college football uh, and the right person to lead the program last year. Um, the one thing yeah, that I, oh go ahead. I was going to say the, and this is something that applies to you a little bit, Rob. The one, the one thing that I wish, if I if I didn't have to get out of there so quickly and try and beat rush hour traffic home, uh, I wish I would have. St- I wish I would have had time to stick around because a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of the conversation around Bill Snyder, um, you know, was was the talk that you know they had a player recently come out as uh, openly gay, you know, and and uh, so there were a lot of questions focused around that and how he thought that was handled and. You know, if it was well received and handled appropriately, and and I didn't, I you know, I did, I I didn't write a story about that, and I wish I would have instead of this Tom Herman story because the but and I would have if I had time to ask him one thing because he's obviously been coaching forever and listening to him talk about the situation after you know a, as it happened as it pertains to this generation, you know, he seemed as you would expect, you know, very open minded about it, you know, very positive about you know the outcome and all this stuff. I wish I could have asked him, like, if this would have happened 
when you, you know, when you were coaching back in, you know, 1982 or like, you know, back in the 70s or 60s when he, when he was probably, presumably a little crustier than he is now personal, you know, uh, personality wise. I wonder how his, his thoughts and opinions of uh, releasing information like that would have been different. Um, and that probably would have been a more provocative story. But, you know, I was just trying to get out of there. Those are long days, you know, and really a grind. And then to step back out of that and come right into rankings calls as we did this this week has really been a, a week full of mental fatigue for me. Yeah, no doubt about it. What I was going to say is you said that, you know, everybody told everybody that Jim Grobe was the most stand-up guy ever. There's a real simple formula for that. It's like if you find a guy that nobody knows a lot about and hasn't had a lot of success elsewhere, you can say – oh, you know, he's a really great guy. And nobody knows him well enough to know any different. So, of course, he's a stand-up guy. I mean, nobody knows anything about his background because he's Jim Grobe who coached at Wake Forest and didn't do very well. That's yeah. that's the play there. All right, shots fired at Jim, oh, old Jim. He nah, I'm sure Jim's right? a fine guy and a fine coach. But, I mean, that that's the play, right? I mean, that's the – I mean, is to get somebody that nobody really – there's no name recognition. I could – pull up you know my friend this is my friend kirk from ohio and be like he's a really great guy and you know try to dispute that you don't know yeah well the the thing that i'm sure grove also did you know it's pretty easy to become a it's and it's similar to a lot of the recruits of a good player better person all you have to do is be nice so if a, if a kid is nice to the recruiting media he'll get branded as oh he's a great kid good family throws his cups in the garbage you know, Look, uh, man, I've, I've said this. This extends so far. I swear, if Charlie Weiss wasn't such a to the media, he might have gotten another. He might have gotten another man, job. Now I got to go back and play. <laughs> I don't think we got to believe that, do we? Yeah, absolutely. That's not a curse. Are you kidding me? Do you know who our boss is? <laughs> I mean, I will go to the ends of the world defending that word is not a curse. Uh, always, well, always you know, Rob, Rob, who never has to do any of the audio editing, is always the one that. Uh, if Charlie Weiss was nicer to the media, I think he would have gotten a third job, and that stands for a lot of guys too. Like you can be, it can buy you an extra job or an extra year just by being nice. Uh, that's all you really have to do, and you can be the worst coach ever. But if you're nice, you'll get an extra year. All right, I, I totally agree. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Warren Thompson, who's been uh, oft discussed on this program. Uh, four-star wide receiver uh, committed to the University of Oregon. We discussed it when he committed initially because it was a, a pretty big su- – well, I guess it wasn't a surprise. People thought it was going to happen, but it was surprising to us that it actually did happen. He's at Florida State today. Rob has uh, gone firmly on the record and say uh, – what did you say, Rob? There's no chance? He's not, he's, I said there's no way he's going to Oregon. Okay, so so Rob – we know Rob's stance. Florida State, I mean, that – that that seems to be uh, – <laughs> that's a school that's obviously going to want a guy like him. He's there. Do we think he's going to flip soon? Do we think – because he just tweeted that he was 100% committed to Oregon and then went to Florida State. So, obviously, he's probably not 100% committed, right? Even if you – like, I wouldn't read so much into it if he just went to Florida State as he's been doing to, like, tour the campus and hang out. But to go and work out again – What's the point? If if you're so committed to Oregon and you're going across the country and they, they've taken your commitment, it, it, don't you want a weekend off? I mean, if you really want to go work out, I mean, you go work out in your backyard. I, I But if you're going to go sweat and work out, you're going to go all the way to Tallahassee to do it? I, I Man, his dad is pretty much a Florida State supporter. I've talked to his dad earlier last year. Maybe his mind has changed since we had that conversation. He wanted Warren at Florida State. He was not very – uh, you know, he didn't go out of the way to try to hide that fact. And now this, where he's there working out again, it, it just, it, it's really hard for me to discard logic here. 
And I think logic says that he's not going to Oregon. It's too far. There's too many other options available to him. And why is he still camping at places if he's really planning on, on going to college across the country on the other side of the nation? I'm curious because obviously we see guys who are committed elsewhere take other visits all the time. It's just gonna it's gonna be tough. I mean, it's gonna be tough for uh for our friend of the show, Marcus Arroyo, Oregon's offensive coordinator, to keep him in the fold. But uh, the, you know, you never know. Sometimes I, I never know with these kids anymore. Why did he commit? And why why did why did he say he's a hundred percent committed if he just wants to decommit now? You know, I don't know. Uh, which he probably will. I'm, Remember when Cameron Davis committed to Oregon State without ever seeing it? <laughs> I forgot about that. If I had to bet, I would say he doesn't end up at Oregon either. I'm on I'm on your side for the most part. Uh, it's just such a – we go through this every year where we hit December and you just throw everything out the window that we've done for <laughs> years, right? I mean, wouldn't you say that's – every year we talk about it. We're in December and we're like, well, none of these kids are going where they said they were going to go. Uh, it's mad. Very rare, yeah, especially and, down in my neck of the woods, you know. And I think this early signing period is going to create even more chaos than ever come the first two weekends of December because there are a lot, there are a lot of there's there are a lot of guys that are going to want to sign at that time and they're going to want to get those official visits in before they take the break. So, oh, hey, speaking of that, so uh, you know, <laughs> one one of the one of the most uh, impressive commissioners in college football, Bob Bowlesby, in oh, his opening really address, suffered. was uh, was discussing the early uh, early signing period. A huge proponent. Well, actually, most of the 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 December signing uh, date was was generally uh, pretty well received across the board uh, unanimously by the coaches. But Bowlesby gets up there and starts talking about how he thinks you know they've got all the they've got all this data that shows that seventy uh, percent of um, uh, the division prospective division one athletes all want to have their commitments done and over with by October. And so he wants to push forward for another He wants a signing window like a month early in the fall when kids can sign uh, earlier in the process. And this was one of the scrum questions that I did get in off to the side with the big commish. And I said to him, uh, you know, Bob, uh, you know, some of these guys are going to, some of these guys are going to sign under your, your plan here. And we're going to have some coaching changes, some staff changes. And, you know, and then, and then what do you think you should do? I mean, are we coming up with waivers for kids getting out of their letters of intent and all that? And, uh, you know, he didn't really have a sound answer for that other than that other, other than like, yeah, that's probably what we should do. But then, then we're just back at square one again, aren't we? You know, with like the whole, the whole process all over again. Mark Richt, when I was talking to him on this subject, in the same interview that we referenced earlier actually says that he doesn't want any of these like early official visits to happen. Like he's not going to use them uh, because he sees it as fire. What did he call it? He said firing his last bullet too early. He likes to hold those official visits because he wants to be the last one. Right. So if the kid's not going to sign early or doesn't guarantee him that he's going to sign early or is already committed, he doesn't want to use an official visit early because then he can't get him back on campus right before they sign in February. And he feels like if you fire that bullet too early, uh, then you're just basically wasting it because he'll visit some other school because he is, believes that you know being the last visit really really plays a big part and I agree with him. So he he's well, like I'm not going to use any of those. Right, but if but let's let's say let's hypothetically speak and let's say Bowlesby's uh, early signing window comes into play. If you if you you know kids aren't going to take all five of their officials in in the early period like that. Let's say let's say they take one to your school and then you have that early signing window at the start of the fall. And if you're a guy like Rick who is only two seasons. This is a very specific situation, but oh, but I mean, 
uh, under those circumstances, especially now, I mean, look at look at the class or uh, I guess the timing doesn't add it. But but I mean, you if you get them on campus for that first official, they have an early signing period at the front of the fall. You get them locked up there that way. But but I mean, you're only talking about that's only applying to, you know, a couple of kids that you really know that you're in a good spot with right away. Gary, Gary Patterson was was out on the on those early officials. He was like, we don't even get back from we don't even start evaluating kids till April 15th. And that's two weeks into the the window for the official visits to start opening. I mean, I don't even think he wants to, he's going to invite any kids there anyway. No, that's how Rick is going to play it too. He was like, nah, I'm out on that. <laughs> and you know, I can agree. I see his point. I mean, I definitely see it. Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot of the schools that are, you know, viewed as, uh, as big time places. I mean, even, you know, we've talked to coaches, if you look at Stanford or, or even Alabama, they've got five or six commits right now. And the whole reason is because they've been waiting for guys to come and camp first uh, so they could see them. So it's like, are, are, is Alabama going to waste their official visits in April on guys they're not sure they even want to take yet? Uh, and the same goes for a place like Stanford and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I really think, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I I guess I didn't even think about it until, until these coaches brought it up recently. It wasn't we, we didn't talk any recruiting at the SEC media days. It was like pulling teeth over there. We were too busy asking about, you know, w- which locker room music is the best and which is the worst things. Did you get a lot of uh, the ACC thinks they're better than you? Because I get a lot of, are you better than uh, the ACC? Nobody cares. Uh, there, there was some ACC talk at Big 12 about how they're uh, they're on the come up. and Yeah, well, when, when 90% of the media members are fans of the school's <laughs> – that are there you're not going to get those type of questions was the homeboy with the alabama championship belt and the mustache that hangs out in the lobby there again this year yeah yeah he was there there was a guy with a dog painted like a tiger like an auburn tiger there was actually i had similar you know i don't know if you guys have ever heard the story when i met michael jordan i know nick probably has where I walked into a, I was waiting in line and I walked into a room and everyone in the room looked at me at the same time and I thought everyone was looking at me and I turned around and Michael Jordan was waiting behind <laughs> me in line. Um, <laughs> at a similar moment where Nick Saban was behind me on the escalator coming down uh, the way the, the hotel works uh, there in Birmingham is there's an escalator that comes down where the fans waited and a ton of media waited and, and I was about four steps in front of Nick Saban and it really <laughs> made me feel like a big deal as I was coming down the stairs. So. Did you wave did you wave on accident to people? When you thought yeah, you were I, I, I I thought about it, but I you know, I didn't ham it up that much. Uh and I I talked to Michael Jordan when I when I had that same encounter. I did not talk to Nick Saban. He's way scarier than uh than Mike is. So um Anyway, moving on, that, that wraps it up. We talked about a lot of stuff. Rob said he wanted this podcast to be 20 minutes. We're already at the 34-minute mark. Oh, so. well, just just to wrap things up about Oregon here real quick. I mean, they, you know, in the camp that they have, uh, uh, you know, coming up this weekend, uh, you know, I just wanted to say in general, uh, regardless of, you know, guys camping at Florida State or, you know, what, what the percentage is that they hit on these out-of-state guys, I mean, they're definitely casting a much wider net and they're definitely – attracting some dudes here from uh from texas that are all going to be there this weekend too i think are very seriously considering the ducks right now yeah they're doing one of those big recruiting events and we haven't seen them really do something like that before and also th- this staff has done a good job of actually getting kids to come visit in the off season we've seen you know talk about not using your early visits i mean the way they were recruiting there before is you you'd have guys you know not see the campus for the first time until their official visit maybe a couple weeks before signing day so 
they're definitely being much more aggressive. I think it's going to lead to them having a lot more success, even though some of these long distance guys will probably peel off at the end. Uh, maybe Thompson, maybe, uh, you know, the Bolden from Florida. We'll see. But they've been able to recruit Texas before. It's a lot different getting from Dallas to Eugene than it is getting from, you know, Lakeland, Florida, or, or wherever you want to say uh, to Eugene. So we'll keep watching that. Uh, All right. We welcome in a special guest uh, to this week's show. We had to record this after the fact. Our, our other episode is already in the can, but uh, we got a chance to get Andy Staples from Sports Illustrated in the mix. And we want to talk to him about the Hugh Freeze situation. Andy, uh, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing good. It's been a weird 24 hours because you'd have told me this time yesterday that Hugh Freeze wouldn't be Ole Miss's coach. This time today, I would have been like, all right, that makes sense. But I would have thought it was an NCAA reason, not this. Yeah, I have like, and I'll never remember who it was. Somebody out there in the world owes me $50. Uh, I said that, you know, Hugh Freeze would not make it. I didn't obviously not expect this. I thought it would be an NCAA thing too. But I cannot remember who I made this bet with. And I said they wouldn't You're make it. Getting them on a technicality season. is basically it. 100%. But I can't remember who it is anyway, so I'm never going to get paid unless that person volunteers. Well, that's what it, I kept throwing out there. Like, I don't, if, if they don't suspend him, I don't think they're going to fire him. But didn't really account for anything like this coming out. Yeah, nobody ever expects the escort service, you know? No. So do we think this was an excuse? I mean, I, I, I'm sort of no. wondering because I, I saw you tweeting that they still have to de- defend him, essentially, with their case with the NCAA. I mean, what was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, un- unless they completely reverse tack in their NCAA defense strategy, which they might. I mean, they might try to shovel some dirt on him now, but I actually don't think that's a great idea either because the Committee on Infractions has been following along as they have dug their heels in to defend Hugh Freeze. So if all of a sudden they say, hey, wait, no, it was Hugh Freeze. He did it all. We didn't do anything wrong. That's probably not going to work. Yeah, if they do that, they open themselves up to getting, you know, the athletic director may need to go. You know, are they yeah. done here yet or is this going to be a larger, a larger cleanup, do you think? It's going to be... Interesting, because if you get hit with lack of institutional control, pretty much everything's on the table. So I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, and, and the thing is, everybody everybody seems to have a – you go on Twitter or you listen to the radio, and people seem to have a very definitive idea what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. This is pretty uncharted territory. Yeah, well, in 2017, you have to have a take, right? That's like what that's what oh, this is about. That's why people funny. are getting fired. I would, I would probably be doing a lot better for myself today if I just made something up and said, this is what will definitely happen. Nobody will care if I'm right or not. Yeah, you get a deal at Fox Sports 1. Well, yeah, the, the, we know from our perspective, obviously, Andy, we cover recruiting. This is a recruiting disaster from uh, the perspective of now they're not going to have a permanent coach in place i would imagine matt luke is not going to be the the long-term solution there they're gonna to have to go through the hiring process the sanctions are still up in the air yeah i mean this, but, this basically wipes out the 2018 cycle even though i mean what from 2017 on they were basically down the drain recruiting wise right yeah the pitch they were selling a lot of the kids i spoke with you know in recent weeks had been saying you know, we, I've been assured that they're going to have this wrapped up. It's not even going to affect me. It's going to be a one-year bowl ban, and everything will be good to go by the time I get there. And, you know, a lot of these kids don't necessarily do the research. They they buy into that yeah, as, as long a, as they're told. Lie. Yeah, 100%. I mean, people lie in recruiting, no way. No. <laughs> yeah. 
Tim Tebow's we'll coming to play linebacker. <laughs> what are you what are you talking about? He's not gonna be a quarterback. Well, so so a lot of the stuff uh that, that I saw you going back and forth with on uh, fans about last night, I saw Dan Wolken chime in. Rob's always been beating this drum, is kind of this you know, religion we have of, of college football coaches and a lot of fan bases buy into it thinking that, you know, their guy, it, it doesn't have to do with a necessarily, you know, Hugh Freeze and his religious views, but just this perspective that these coaches are, you know, these, these you know, godlike figures or whatever that are incapable of making mistakes. Uh, I kind of want to let you and Rob uh, banty that about because you both feel like that's something that's overblown. I mean, is this just another example of, you know, Hugh Freeze is a human and, and maybe if he wasn't tied up in this NCAA stuff, this wouldn't be a fireable offense? What, what's your thought on that? Well, I, I think a lot of it is Hugh Freeze's own actions helped make it a fireable offense. If you're going to if you're going to bang the drum for being holier than thou, you better actually be holier than than me or holier than everybody else. You better walk that walk because if you get exposed as a hypocrite like that, you're going to have a big problem going forward in recruiting. I mean, cuz this is the guy who said, you know, I'm I'm recruiting a certain type of guy and, you know, I want the mom to come on the visit and and all that stuff. Well, how are you going to look mom in the face now and say all that stuff? But I I do think it's more symptomatic of a it, it's not just a college football thing; it's a societal thing. But uh, Bill Connolly, who who does you know works for SB Nation, has studied the history of the sport a lot. Makes a great point that all the sanctimony has been baked in since the beginning. It's this noble pursuit, you know, with all these warrior poets who are in it only for their education and happen to play football, and the coaches are molders of young men. Well, that's a bunch of crap. Why do you think it is, though? It seems so much more, you know, widespread in football. It's like politics. Even in, even in the NFL, it's though, than other same sports. Thing as politics. I don't know if it's a case where you feel you have to do this to appeal to the dumber portion of your fan base or when politicians do it to appeal to the dumber portion of the electorate. But essentially, dumb people want to believe that they are supporting a great man or a great woman. And they don't think critically about the fact that, oh, wait, people who get in really high, powerful positions where they make lots of money usually tend to make a lot of compromises along the way. And it's kind of compounded on itself over the years, too. I mean, a Nick Saban or anybody that's winning, for that matter, could set a student manager on fire and a fan base would, right. if they were winning, would find a way to justify that. I mean, it could be videotaped and you would get, uh, let's wait for the facts to come out here. I know we watched him set a manager on fire on video, but, you know, I'm sure there's more to the story. Yeah, and if he's winning. Yeah, if he's winning, 100%. If he's and losing, well, what a horrible human being. He had us all hoodwinked. <laughs> Is it yeah. the way that these coaches, you know, that, that you know, you hear every coach in the world push a family atmosphere at their at their school, and you hear athletic directors talk about when we made this hire, we weren't just looking for a football coach, we were looking for a molder of men, and we were looking for somebody with the utmost accountability. Is it is it yeah. that rhetoric that kind they're of sets all, yeah, us up all, for this? They're all being politicians at that point. They're just lying. Well, one hundred percent. But would they, they be better off not doing that? No one. Very few people have ever been fired for not molding enough men or not graduating enough players, but a heck of a lot of people have been fired for losing too many games. You know, you can you go, but, but what about Art Browse? Art Browse got fired over something that may turn out to be criminal. So, yeah, of course he needed to go. But in most cases, 
the guy gets fired because he's losing. I mean, who is generally regarded as the most ethically upright college football head coach working today? Uh, it might be Bill Snyder. Mark Richt would be uh, my guy. Uh, okay. What happened to Mark Richt at Georgia? Uh, well, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't win enough, and he was still winning adjacent, but not enough for Georgia. You know exactly. And and here's the the other thing about that. I I hesitate to even name a person because we don't really know these people. No, that's, not at all. That's the part. And you guys know these people better than most, and I know these people better than most. But we we still don't know these people. Well, well we, we know. Yeah, them. we know the public facing facade of these people. Like nobody actually knows. You know what right. they are. Well, we'll sit in a coach's office and, you know, so some of these coaches, whether it's a coordinator or even a head coach, I mean, when you sit – and Andy, you've been in this situation. When you sit there face-to-face, I mean, you know, some of the stuff that they say, I mean, if if it was ever on the record or if it oh, was, yeah. you know, discussed publicly, everyone would freak out. I mean, you know, the, the amount of, you know, curse words that come out and the things that – They'll say about even in our position, the things that they'll sometimes say about kids are really kind of, you know, catches you by surprise. But I guess it's it's all part of the facade that that we've kind of. Yeah. And and there are not into. many coaches that don't have that facade. It's, it's funny. People make fun of Will Muschamp and Brett Bielema. But those are two of the few guys who sound on the record like they sound off the record. Yeah. Like normal humans. The, the last thing I wanted to ask you and kind of get your opinion on is. I guess I understand why on, on a superficial level and why this is done with athletic directors and coaches and why they puff up their chests about accountability because, you know, it is being politicians. But do you think any fan base in the world, they're trying to win the press conference, any fan base in the world, when they introduce a coach is going to be like, well, you know, I really like his resume, but, you know, they didn't talk enough about his accountability in the press conference. So I'm not really sold on this guy. Just why not not say anything at all on that front? Yeah, that's the that's the way I've always thought they should do it. I thought the the press conference where Louisville introduced Bobby Petrino the second time around was probably the most honest coach hiring press conference there ever was. Yeah. We know he's kind of slimy. He was slimy when he was here the first time, but he wins. So we're hiring him. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. There's something to be said for keeping it real. I think. Yeah. I appreciated that. Well, so, you know, I saw I've obviously on our old Miss site, we've got some some names floating around that, that that they've talked about in the early going. I know I saw uh, your colleague Bruce Feldman had a story out that, that that you retweeted and talked about Frank Wilson. You know, do we think that Frank could make that kind of jump? I mean, I see him all the I see Frank all the time. His son is a is a young recruit and he, he's been everywhere. He was even at LSU's camp, uh, you know, decked out in his UTSA stuff. He's got connections. Is he going to be the guy that we're watching right now as a permanent hire? Or do you think they're going to have to try to go bigger than that? What are some names we think we could watch, you know, as the fall moves along here? Well, here's the thing. We can't even really zero in on a group of candidates until we know what the NCAA is going to do. Because if the NCAA doesn't penalize them very heavily, then all of a sudden you're going to get some bigger names in there because this is a job that pays a ton of money. And if it's not that bad and they feel like they can dig out pretty quickly, there'll be a bunch of people wanting the job. But if it is really bad, then you're going to be looking at somebody who just wants to make that big jump who will then have some time to build. And if they do a good job there, we'll immediately jump into a huge job. So that's where your Frank Wilsons and your Neil Browns come in. You know, those not normally going to move from Troy or UTSA to an Ole Miss, 
But if they are hit really hard by the NCAA, then those other candidates that would have been, you know, bigger names won't be there. So that's when you start looking at those guys. If it's a little bit lighter, that's when you start looking at the Charlie Strongs of the world. Well, I, I guess we just got to kind of buckle up. Good, good for us because this is a little bit of a slow time. Actually, gave us something to uh, talk I, about. I, I did notice that uh, that your Ole Miss team site is uh, is free for the rest of the year with, with a sign up. Uh, is it really? I didn't even notice that. You, you guys, uh, yeah, your marketing department has uh, is is striking while the iron is hot. I think it's well, awesome that you think we have a marketing department. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's okay. People have, I think we have a lot more departments at SI than we have to. Well, hey, guess what? I, I actually did a story today where I compiled some message board posts and I, just embedded them. I read. Yeah. It. I mean, I saw everybody saying Les Miles should get hired there, and I, I to which I always ask people, if Les Miles underachieved with LSU talent, what is he going to do with not LSU talent? Well, you make a good point there. Our, our LSU fans would agree with that. Is they still are fighting that uh, that fight over there? They're blaming. They're still blaming Les for for several things, including part of this year's recruiting class. So the, the day uh, the day Les got fired, it was, I did four hours of live radio, and the calls were amazing because every <laughs> call from outside the state of Louisiana was like, "What are they doing?" And every call from inside the state of Louisiana was like, "This is two years too late," except with a much thicker accent. Exactly. My fan, right. my fantasy is seeing Lane Kiffin in that seat. I mean, I know it can't happen and it won't happen, but we man, it would be so on Twitter immediately this morning. That's <laughs> that's probably the best, the, the the funniest thing that's happened in all this is Lane Kiffin immediately following a bunch of Ole Miss sites, including isn't isn't one of them just pictures of girls? Yeah, one of them just pictures of girls in Oxford. Yeah, that's I mean that's amazing. That's, you know, if Lane is anything, I'm <laughs> I didn't know that existed. All right, Andy. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks for coming by. And uh, you want to tell us all, at all about uh, your new venture you're doing over there at Sports Illustrated with uh, the food stuff? Oh, sure. SI.com slash eats. SI eats. We are uh, examining the intersection of food and sports, which for me means basically doing what I've been doing, where I, I write about all the places I eat on the road. And then every once in a while, I'll do there'll be stories involving food and sports and some taste tests and power rankings. You can go to the site now, and I've got my uh, my hot chicken power rankings up from my visit to Nashville a couple weeks ago. You can watch me eating the uh, the extra, extra, extra hot at uh, at Prince's? Prince's Hot Chicken Shack, and and you can actually see some of my internal organs liquefying. <laughs> so I'm going up to IMG. I, I saw a- you tweeting back and forth with John Esteller, the uh, SID over there at IMG Academy. I'm going on Tuesday. I'm going to lunch with him to eat that burger that we guys were discussing. Oh, my. That SOB Burgers is unbelievable. Every time I go do something at IMG, I go to SOB Burgers. And the one he tweeted out has like pork belly and jalapenos on it. The one I've gotten before has mac and cheese on it. And it's really good. But the pork belly and jalapeno sounds even better. Oh geez, well I I might be making it down on that trip too, Rob. So I guess Plus we gotta... they got like thirty D one prospects, so you, you got to have numbers. You, yeah, you, yeah. You Photographers all, coming all so. by yourself. Yeah, we we spend some we spend quite a bit of time down there. Rob actually gets dumped on because whenever a kid moves in from out of the region uh, into into Florida to go to IMG, everyone expects Rob to instantly know his entire family and have a great great relationship. So. Um, All right, Andy, thanks a lot. Uh, We appreciate it. And uh, come back next week for another episode of Commitment Issues. Thanks, gentlemen. We want to move on now. Of course, it's time for the Tweet of the Week. 
you better hope that mediocre money that you make at Rivals is good enough for you for the rest of your life. I actually have several that I've been saving here, so boy, it's, I think we're going to go. I think we're going to go with Malik Heath if I can find the original tweet here. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, it was very funny. Um, oh man, <laughs> start laughing before I even read it. I'll read the other one first. I have several, so uh, let, let me. We'll we'll do with Derek Allen, four star committed to. Notre Dame at D Smooth Allen, who's verified, by the way. Take that, Molly Keith. He says, "Let me ask y'all something. You ever been so bored you just go to sleep because you because your dreams more exciting than what you were doing?" Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I've ever. That's, I don't know that's unpredictable, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was kind of being philosophical there, Rob. What was your? T- <laughs> is, that, is that how you? Were uh, t- yeah, I, I didn't, basically didn't see an English it. Major. Um, I didn't see it, and to be honest, I was reading OJ tweets while you were reading it, so I don't even know what it was. <laughs> okay, all right. So I tweeted an article uh, about Malik Keith, four-star wide receiver from Mississippi. Very good, uh, very very good personality, funny kid. Um, he, <laughs> I said. Uh, Malik, uh, Malik Keith is considering Nebraska, even though he's committed to Mississippi State. Which point somebody responded, Nebraska, you know, what what year does he think it is? Uh, he said like 19, 1970 or something. And then he responds to the guy, which was great because that, that usually never happens. And he says, Don't worry about what I think, stay from under my article. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because the guy had responded. <laughs> Stay from under my article. Uh, Hold on, did, was, I, did our fan? Did our fan? I assume a Mississippi State fan. Did he respond? Uh, I'm trying to. I'm having issues with Twitter as I'm trying to pull this up here. I don't know. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be that hard to to see it. Um, yeah, OJ has taken over Twitter. It's impossible. Yeah, Boy, and b- before that, though, I mean, geez, yes, yesterday trying to figure anything out on Twitter was a total disaster between Kevin Hart and Ursher and, you know. Oh, yeah. Ursher. It's been. <laughs> or Herbshire, as, as he's been called now on Twitter. Ursher. <laughs> oh, come on. I, I, sometimes there are things trending on Twitter and you're like, what is this? And then you click on it and you just go down a rabbit hole of like insane uh, uh insane let's, things let's it's over there right now besides oj we've got i, uh, I did a see sad a, story like, it's all OJ. a basket i did see a basketball dunk challenge tweet that's starting where people just drive to people's houses with basketball hoops and this guy just gets out of his car and dunks on strangers hoops and stuff yeah i saw that too that somebody's made, gonna yeah. get shot a little more lighthearted. Yeah, yeah yeah it was a drive-by dunk challenge i think is what it was called there you go. Some reason I can't get, but anyway, the, the guy didn't. The guy didn't answer again, and Malik tweeted because the guy was uh, older looking, and Malik tweeted at him again and said, "What year you think it is? Nineteen <laughs> twenty? <laughs> Malik was very aggressive. I actually got a text from uh, Nate Klaus, who covers uh, Nebraska for us at Husker Online, and he said, "Malik Keith bringing the heat on Twitter." LOL, which. Uh, I found was funny. So Malik's a very good personality. Highly recommend uh, finding him on Twitter and and following him because he is uh, he's hilarious. But stay from under my article, old man. (laughs) 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 All right, now it's time to move on. Rants and recommendations. We've been gone for a week. I think uh, 
who who said they had a rant? Did I Nick actually have one. I just thought of it, but Nick can go. Oh, Rob, you got one. Okay, why don't you start? I, I can be brief with mine, and it's something that applies to all of us, but something that I was reminded about frequently at uh, at media days. Yeah. All right. Urinals, right? We can we can complain about urinals in a variety of ways, but What's but this the deal with urinals. <laughs> <laughs> um, one one of my major pet peeves in general is when you're when you're using a urinal and somebody up comes up next to you at the next one over and like does like the quiet spit into the urinal first mm-hmm. uh, and then starts peeing, which really grosses me out. That but the thing that the thing that uh the thing that I I really uh, took issue with in this past weekend was. People spitting their gum out in the urinals. It's like, guys, you know, that that ain't getting flushed down the... That's, that's just going to sit in there and somebody else has to clean that up, you know? Like, there's trash cans galore at these media days. Leave the gum in your mouth and wait till you find a trash can. Yeah, you don't like need people to spit don't, it out don't, in the urinal. People don't understand how limited the drains on urinals are. They think they can treat them like regular to- toilets or something. No, you, I mean... You, Splashback is already an issue, you know, you're also like when you introduce something else that creates strange angles that if you know if the stream hits it, it anything can happen, like a <laughs> jagged piece of gum or what have you. <laughs> Nick, so what do you hate more, Nick? Do you hate seeing when a guy spits in the urinal or when he makes a loud noise when he goes pee? Like, ah. No, no, that's it. Well, I hate that, but it's also, at least there's some comedy involved. With it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate both of them. Okay, so. I will get uh, Rob. You go next, but I'll give you guys. I've got five rants written oh. down here. <laughs> Jesus. I'll give you guys. I'll let you guys choose one based on my notes. All right. Yeah. I'll, oh, I'll, oh, I'll do mine real quick because I'm not. I probably maybe even touched on this in the show. We'll do mine real quick, and this may be more familiar to Nick than you because Nick and I, I think, spend more time in bars. I enjoy like nice cocktail bars uh, because I enjoy nice cocktails, and it's you know it's a nice little atmosphere and whatever. I don't understand when it's time. You know, this has kind of been a trend again for the last 10 years probably that these fancy cocktail bars with, you know, actually trained bartenders are back. Why have we all decided that they have to dress like they're in the 1920s? Like, why do you have to wear suspenders to work at one of these fancy cocktail bars or vests? It like cheapens it and makes me feel like it's a gimmick. It's okay to have nice drinks and not dress. You don't have to have a pocket watch to serve them. You know, you can dress like a normal human that lives in the year 2017 and still make an old fashioned. Uh, that's those two things are not mutually exclusive. This is fine. You can be a normal human being and make nice cocktails without wearing suspenders. And I think that somewhere online, we've decided that you have to have on suspenders to make fancy drinks and we got to really kill that because it really kind of kills the, you know, it feels forced and and kind of like lame to me. Well, there are, there are a lot of uh, prohibition style uh, speakeasies now where I suppose that would sort of fit the gimmick a little bit better. But it's every single one, even the ones that don't have those. Like there's this place called the Regent Cocktail Club on Miami Beach. That's a great little bar. But the bartender thinks he has to have a pocket and it's not just one bartender. It's like everybody that works there has to wear suspenders or like, an old style bow tie or a vest that looks like it was lifted from that HBO show about prohibition. It's, I don't know. It's really weird. It's like, we've agreed as a country. uh, to this is the way you have to You have to dress like, like a 1920s person. If you're going to serve nice cocktails. I think suspenders are stupid because I, I either see people wearing suspenders and a belt, which defeats the purpose. And I hate people that tuck shirts into their pants without wearing a belt in general. So even with the suspenders, I think having empty belt loops around your waist with a shirt tucked in still looks bad. No, I'm with you. All right, Woody, let's hear your notes. I'm excited about this game. Uh, okay, so here, here are my options to complain about. We have we have new security protocols at the Atlanta airport. Nah. Uh, we got 
this is just a note. Fresh hotel eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, shooting yeah. video in portrait mode, which yeah. Nick would probably hate. Yeah. Uh, sandwiches at the media days and elevator etiquette. So, which, which you guys, which would you guys want me to complain about this week? My vote. I'm interested in the eggs. Yeah, my vote is also for the eggs because it's the most mysterious. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> bring on the eggs. Here's the problem. I, I stay we, we all stay at a lot of hotel rooms. For me, breakfast is very important. <laughs> Nick cutting some background music, yeah. I guess. Um, you go downstairs, and what do they have? They have a giant vat of eggs, right, which are disgusting. Who knows how long they've been sitting out there. Powdered eggs. Yeah, but a lot of these places have like a little omelet bar, a little omelet chef, especially Hilton Garden Inn, which is where I often stay for that very reason. And I, they ask you what you want. You go up there, and I say, yeah, I'd like to have uh, some some eggs. And they go, what do you want in them? I said, nothing. I just want some fresh scrambled eggs. Nah, there's a whole thing of eggs over there. And I'm like, <sighs> they've been sitting there for three or four hours. I don't want to eat those. Eggs do not stay. Eggs need to be eaten within four minutes of when they come out of the pan, or you might as well just throw them in the garbage. I'm telling you that it's disgusting. So I'm here. I am a paying customer. I'm going to tip the person, and then no, so, sorry, it's eggs over there. Is the, the often the reply I get? All right. I guess my question is this, because this is always what I wonder when you tell one of these stories. How heated has your arguments with the egg man gotten? Uh, like, what's the furthest you've come at screaming at one of these people? The last time I was in somewhere, I think I was in Mississippi, and I, you know, I just. I did a like a Rob Cassidy just uh, sadly shrugged my shoulders and was said, "Fine, I don't want anything." Yeah, <laughs> and went and sat my, down at my, my table and begrudgingly ate some blueberries. So it's like, great! I forfeited five hundred Hilton points in order to get this breakfast, and I can't even eat anything. Well, why don't you just get an omelet then? What I'm going to do next time is I'm going to say, "Fine, I'll take an omelet with nothing in it except eggs, and then scramble it yourself." Yeah. That yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. That, say- that rant, I, my rant, that that rant stinks. Let's do let's do a backup rant with uh, we- with uh, the air, airport security. I would like to I would like to replace my rants uh, with. Can we have a segment called just the last person, the last stranger would he yelled at in public, and just have you recount <laughs> the last stranger you yelled <laughs> yeah. at in public? <laughs> well, that would be, be a good segment to have every week. I'm trying to remember the last one. I'd probably have to check our text thread. Yeah, I mean, uh, was it in airport security at Atlanta? Because I'm willing oh, to hear yes, this. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, all right. Let's go. It all goes in. So, in in TSA pre-check in the Atlanta airport now, they've got a new system where instead of you know putting your stuff in individual bins, they've got these giant bins. Everything goes in one bin, and you push right. it out onto like a conveyor belt, and it rolls through. Right. Yep. Yeah. So we've got a major problem with people upstreaming you. So it's just like somebody will will come after you in line, go to one in front of you, and then push their bag onto the conveyor belt. Even though yours is already there, they'll push yeah. theirs into a hole, and you end up sitting there waiting. So that that's one point. But on the other end, okay, the way they come out, these bins are so big, they need to be taken and stacked, and there's an automatic machine that 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 condenses them it's a whole it's a very efficient system a lot of people are having trouble with it which is why i here here i come <laughs> officer Wolmack on the scene so there was a couple of people who got flagged and when someone gets flagged they have to go through the body scanner that slows down the whole process because their stuff is there and these bins are so big that they get backed up the conveyor can't go through you know it's like assembly line situation so our boy some stranger 
sees his bag, you know, and it's probably the sixth bag in line, but they're stacked up. So he reaches in. It's out of the x-ray thing. He reaches out, grabs his suitcase out, leaves the bin there. Ugh. So it's just it, nothing's moving. It's just stuck. It, it's stuck there. So I, I, you know, I have an audience of people who are waiting for their bags as well. <laughs> and I tell them. You have to take the bin out. That's the whole point. There's literally five signs, by the way, too, that says, please place your bin here, grab your bin and move it. This guy just... You're a volunteer TSA agent. (laughs) Right. Which is is funny because I get in fights with them all the time, too. So I'm on both ends. So so the guy leaves. The guy leaves. He comes back over after I grabbed his bin and put it on the restful because then that allowed his other bag to come far enough for him to grab it. And he reaches in there to grab it. And he turns around and he thought he was going to walk away. Guess what? He ran into a brick wall named Woody Womack. And I said, what you? I said, go get your go get your bin out of there and put it on top of the stack. I said, you left the last one in there and I had to move it. You're holding up the whole line. The way the system works is you take your bin, you put it on the stack, and then you go. We, I go, and I said, we're living in a society, which is a quote from George Costanza in a famous episode of Seinfeld. And, you know, of course... He just looks at me shocked, but guess what? He doesn't say a word and he does it. And I guarantee you 100% he will never leave a bin in there again. So I think that, that was way better than the egg story. Yeah, way we, better. We, we chose poorly as the well, like, cut the egg Indian story. I, I, thought, I thought you were going to talk about like hard boiled eggs and how like I, I don't want to eat anything in the morning that comes with like a glaze of water on it. You know, <laughs> I, I hate hard boiled <laughs> eggs at all times. So. I, I, I almost guarantee you, Woody. That anybody that's been listening to this podcast for more than, let's say, 15 episodes has diagnosed you with something. I don't know what that <laughs> something is, but I'm sure they've like self-diagnosed you with something. Well, and if you'd like you to know, tweet at us and tell us what you've diagnosed Woody with, we will accept those tweets. I've been real diagnosed by actual doctor. So, uh, you know, we'll see if it lines up. Will you play a contest? Win a free rival's hat. <laughs> yeah, uh, no doubt. I'll send you my hat from ACC Media Day if you can guess Woody's disorder. Yeah, if you can properly uh, guess which, well, I have at least two. So you got it's multiple choice, multiple choice, multiple mark. Uh, quick recommendation: I should have started with this, the Defiant Ones, a documentary on HBO about Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. We all know I'm in the bag for Dr. Dre, but uh, I've heard several other people say they really love it. I would highly recommend watches it. Watching it, it kind of starts. Uh, you know, with with Jimmy Iovine in, in, in the 70s when he comes up with uh, Bruce Springsteen and and guys like that. And also follows Dr. Dre through, you know, the NWA days. And, of course, uh, they end up together. They launch Beats Headphones. The, the last hour is kind of like a, a commercial for Apple, which, you know, you could pass on. But the first three hours or the first three episodes, I think it's like a four or five hour thing. Highly recommend anybody who uh, likes music of any sort. You don't even have to be into uh, hip hop or anything like that. It's very, very interesting. Have, have you guys had a chance to watch it? I have not. Yeah, I would. Rob, you'll really enjoy it. Nick, I think you would like it too. It just would take a lot of your attention. I don't know if you got that kind of time on your hands. Uh, yeah. Well, also, I use my brother's Netflix account and his his card has expired or something like that. So I'm out on Netflix. Oh, boy, so Netflix. you're a thief too. Oh, how nice. Uh, it's actually on uh, HBO. <laughs> Uh, which I do, do not do not admit well, to crimes in front of volunteer TSA agent Woody Womack. <laughs> well, here's guess what? Bonus rant. Ding ding ding. These people <laughs> hit the music. Who, hit the music. <laughs> these people who brag about being cord cutters and they're like, yeah, I just used my parents' cable login. You're not a cord cutter. You're a thief who's committing a crime. 
You're stealing. Do you want to have TV to watch? You want to watch more Game of Thrones? You have to support the artists out there. It's like everybody thinks they should get everything for free. Your parents are paying the cable bill. That's not cord cutting. It's cord stealing. Jake Brown, I'm talking to you. Shots fired. (laughs) I saw him bragging about being a cord cutter and all these people on Facebook are giving him advice. Yeah, I just log into all my friends' accounts for everything. It's like that's not being a cord cutter. Being a cord cutter is... You're paying for Hulu. You're paying for Netflix or whatever. Okay, get stealing cable. You might as well just bootleg cable in and be like, "Yeah, I'm a cord cutter." Well, why? Do you, why is your TV connected to a cord? Well, I'm illegally stealing cable. So, <laughs> get out of here, millennials. Take that. Take take that for data. All right, <laughs> that's it. I'm now. I'm all fired up. You got great. I was in a good mood. Now I'm now I'm pissed. So cut the egg thing out. Yeah. Nick, you guys will never know the egg egg rant because we're running long at 52 minutes. So leave us a review on iTunes. uh, Do other things of that nature. Subscribe. You guys got anything else? Is that it? No, no, no. I think I'm I'm quite done. All All right. We'll be back uh, with another episode next week. Uh, Hopefully we've got some topics to talk about. So reach out to us. M. Deuce, my man, who I guarantee you he loves the Defiant Ones, heavily Dr. Dre inspired. uh, Play us out.